0: Welcome to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Ben White.
1: And I'm Matthew Timmons. The People features the voices and ideas that make up the cultural landscape of Los Angeles, the West Coast, and beyond on K-Chung, 1630 AM, every third Sunday at 3 PM. Like a broken record, magically repaired. In
0: Chinatown, Los Angeles, set your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at kchungradio.org. That's K-C-H-U-N-G
1: radio.org. You can also find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show.
0: The show is hosted by Insert Blanc Press. Go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page.
1: There you can find out more about our guests as you're listening to the show.
0: Today, our guests are Commonwealth and Council and Galaporus Kim.
1: Commonwealth and Council is a gallery at 3006 West 7th number 220 in Los Angeles in Koreatown. It's been open since 2010. Recently the show Demolition Woman was at the Guggenheim Gallery at Chapman University in September 2013. And right now you can see the show Akina Cox and the Holy Trinity. That's Krista Buking, Gracie DeVito, and Ariana Vielmeter. Uh Commonwealth and Council is a really great gallery. You should check it out.
0: Galaporas Kim is an artist born in Bogota, Colombia, She got her MFA from CalArts in 2009. She recently had an exhibition at Commonwealth and Council uh, called The Mute Object and Ancient Stories of Today. And she'll be showing there again in March of 2015. Galipurus Kim and Commonwealth and Council, welcome to the people.
2: Hey, guys.
1: Hi. Hi. How's it going?
2: Good. It's going okay.
1: So there was an opening here last night. Uh, Commonwealth and Council, can you tell us uh, how was it?
3: I'm hungover. <laughs> Good. And. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where people find parking, but people come in the sweet spot. You have yeah. to tell it them about really the sweet park. parking
2: I spot. I know it's a little secret, but there's a hidden gem parking spot down the street. You want to announce really? that to everyone? Yeah, there's like a hundred
0: spots. Can we just? Can you just tell us off air? When, when
2: the- you go. You go past the gallery towards going east, and then on towards the right Hoover. side, yeah. yeah, and on the right side beyond Chung's appliance, there's this little spot where if you look for Young Square Car, you can park there, and there's like over a hundred spots. Oh man, All that right.
1: is a super secret. Everyone's doing that next council. time. Yeah. So when did you find out that that uh, secret parking spot?
2: It's on the press release.
1: It's on the press release. Yes, oh We v- D- TR.
2: <laughs>
1: well,
0: Young, could you maybe start us off by talking about the gallery, like when when you started it, and like what how it functions in Lo- in the Los Angeles art world, and just tell us about the gallery.
3: Um, I I came out of the closet as an artist, um, but I've been. Getting involved with other artists run spaces. Um, I guess I realized, well, I never realized how spaces were so integral to artists. Mm-hmm. And um, I helped a lot of like um, spaces, like program. But it felt like a lot of compromise. So uh, with a friend's help put a lot of stuff, my art, other people's art, my furniture, and storage, thinking that I would start over, um, because I was using my living room as my studio. Mm. and um,
2: It was packed, packed full of other people's work.
3: Yeah, support, Um, but, um, but Gala was coming back from a residency at Skowhegan breaking up and needing a place to stay. So, Commonwealth Avenue, like the one bedroom apartment in, on Commonwealth Avenue and Council Street became Commonwealth Council, and Gallup Horse Kim was the first resident artist. What year was that? In 2010, October 2010.
2: It was like a homeless shelter
3: Yeah, I often think I'm running an orphanage. I think it
2: was almost a cop-out, like you were forced to sort of have that space as your studio, and then you're like, I wanna be supportive to other people's work, so fill my own studio space with other people.
3: Yeah, I'm like, well, because I was thinking like I wasn't paying extra rent. All I had to do was like get some stuff for the reception So we had an opening and a closing, and the closing usually coincided with like a release of a catalog or publication. Right. So the artist had like two weeks or two, three?
2: Well, it started as a residency. It was like you were gonna invite people over, and during the time of this residency, we would produce the work, and then I ended up staying at your house for like two weeks and making a project about Koreatown with you. Yeah in there
3: i remember driving you around koreatown to all my spots spots
2: yeah i mean it was about finding about the neighborhood without knowing how to navigate it and you know young has lived in koreatown forever and i've always wanted to find the sweet spots where to go and eat whatever so we drove up and down all the neighborhood streets and he would tell me stories about all these restaurants like my dad used to buy the mandu from this place and then we went over and it just became a project about sort of his life and the neighborhood at the same time based on food.
1: So, what did you end up producing, you guys, uh, at the end of those two weeks? Oh,
2: it was like a map of Koreatown with all these food business cards all lined up in a sort of order of the town. And, you know, I keep those, no car- those business cards in my car when I was like, oh, I don't know where to go eat today. We're going to go to like the North Korean restaurant, something.
3: Or chopsticks from those
2: restaurants <laughs> yeah. with their um... yeah. We collected chopsticks and business cards, and then it ended up just. I almost thought about bringing them to your space, so like you could use them because you like have so much food all the time. Yeah.
0: Who else was involved back in the day? Just you two.
2: Yeah.
3: At the time, um, but the dining room also became there was a th-
2: project space in the dining room.
3: Yeah. Because I didn't know what the hell the Gala was making, so um, so we created like a mini show in the dining room, like thematic shows.
2: Yeah, he used to have like a main artist, and then in your dining room it used to be like some sort of your curatorial practice. Yeah. Thing. How big was this apartment?
3: <laughs> well, it's like the building was built in the 30s, so it was like a large one bedroom.
1: Okay, Yeah. old school one bedroom, yeah, okay. So what about the move?
0: When did the when did the move happen to here?
3: Oh, like we got shut down after three months. Um, (laughs) The
2: landlord used to live next door and he would come up and be like, what are you guys doing? There's all these people smoking outside. You're (laughs) messing up my dogs. (laughs) I know. You need to move.
3: Yeah. So we got shut down after three months. And then we were kind of floating around hosted by other generous spaces. And we found the new location. In June twenty eleven, okay. and we reopened with, with um, four glow shows. Um, gorgeous ladies of wrestling, but um each pair uh, of artists um, they came up with a different meaning of the acronym, oh. like um, uh,
2: glorious. What, gorgeous ladies? No,
3: no. Well, one of them was called um. Gathering. Great lovers of women.
2: There's a gathering wood something? Yeah,
3: gathering. Lots of wood. Lots of wood. <laughs> um, gone living out west. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or c- grab lunch or whatever. <laughs> so that's how we relaunched the New Space. But the New Space
2: was like... Here, like where yeah. we're at
1: today, actually,
2: yeah. right? And it yeah. used to be a lot of studios. It was mostly studios... Before with the smaller space, right. this place right here, the office used to be a, a studio space okay. before yeah, like, the three other ones were there. And slowly it was like a sort of a yearly upgrade of wall building and like yes, expanding. And
3: Gala was very integral <laughs> to the transformation <laughs> of the space. It was like a shared studio. Um, four of us shared it and then the exhibition happened in the front room mm-hmm. which is like less than 200 square feet. Oh wow. Yeah. And then we secure like 1500 adjacent unit and then we moved all the studios over there and the exhibition space grew.
2: Lots Corona. of wall building. Yeah. yeah. But it was interesting to see the space how like you know when each demolition would happen we would discover these treasures like there was this old guy living in the building and all of a sudden like we tore some, who tore, somebody tore the ceiling down and there was all his stuff from like the 50s or something and yeah, there was like the an type old writer. typewriter what? and some lamps and all his gear
3: great and they're now in the possession of gala porth
2: <laughs> <laughs> i work for goodies <laughs> treasure
0: <laughs> uh well for the show last night uh there was a what a million people here two million people roughly there was, there was a big crowd. I mean, has it, always been, has it always been like that? I mean, was it a slow growth or was there a moment where, like, you guys kind of got it together or it congealed into something where people just knew about you and showed up? Or was it a slow burn?
2: Slow. Yeah, slow. I mean, you've been around since 2010, and if you think about the first few shows, it was, like, our friends in your living room and then...
3: Right... Like all of a out. sudden,
2: there's like these new people who are like, "Oh, it's my first time coming to the space. Like, I just moved out here for grad school, and like, we're, like, whoa, how did you even hear about that?" You know? Yeah.
3: Um.
1: Well, you do you do uh, your openings. Um, I've noticed that people like if you come at eight thirty, it's too early. And there's always great snacks and you know drinks, but. It seems that the place actually fills up around nine thirty, mm-hmm. and it's it's, a, it's an interesting like it's a really good thing. It's it's almost like I think of, you know, Commonwealth and Council taking over this uh, position the Night Gallery used to have, mm. because you go out to openings and then you can you know You'll come here. You have to here. end up somewhere. Yeah, you end up somewhere, and uh, I always end up here lately, which is great. And uh, and you always have the Jameson and. Oh God! You know. <laughs> yeah, it's always a
0: really welcome environment, and it's yeah. and it's you know, it's different than you know at galleries in Santa Monica that are like yeah we have our opening is on Saturday it's from four to six you yeah. know and that is and that's not for that's not for normal people who don't have a lot of money that's for people who come and buy stuff like it's not for a bunch of people to come out and drink and smoke and hang I mean out I and think be just
2: because the place is so welcoming you know like there's always food and then. You're just like hanging out at the space, and it doesn't feel like a gallery. You're like smoking in here and like drinking and hanging out with friends. And it's like, you know, like you can look at the art and then come over here and just talk about whatever happened. And wasn't there at some point where there was going to be like a union meeting or something here?
3: Union meeting?
2: Yeah, union. like there was like an artist. Teamsters. Something. that There were some kids hanging out here one time, and they were talking about some union or something. Like an art union or something? Yeah. So you just, like, come here and talk about all these other stuff, you know? Yeah, it's a really uh,
0: welcoming space, and I'll speak for myself and basically everyone else in the Los Angeles art world. Like, when I think of Commonwealth and Council, like, there's a warm feeling. It's just, like, it's not, like, oh, i got to go out and see shows. It's, like, I want to go to this spot because there's always great work, and... And, and everybody's there, you know? And it's a very nice place to be and hang out and, t- and talk to other really smart people about really great things.
1: And also, um, I encourage anyone listening right now to, to stop in during the open hours. Because I've been, I, uh, every time I've come over here, I've met somebody. Like, I come over here during open hours, and I meet somebody. Like, I met Jeff Tuck here for the first time, and I'd known of his work and read Notes on Looking. And I'd never actually met it. We were Facebook friends for some you know. And then I showed up here, and there was Jeff. And uh...
2: That's how I met Jeff, too. I met him a couple of days before my op- the first show at Commonwealth. And it was like, hey, Jeff, we're having a show at this guy's living room. Come over. And then it was like showing up in somebody's house in sort of like potluck style. You're just having a Sunday, uh, like Saturday. It was Sunday, No, It was like in the early. I think it was
3: Saturday from like noon to five when he yeah, were in the apartment. Yeah, like lunchtime. Because we were trying to honor like the. The landlord situation, <laughs> yeah. The sleeping <laughs> pattern. I mean, I, he usually went to bed around six, you know, but you know, he just couldn't imagine like 75 people like walking on the hardwood floor. Yeah. And flushing the toilet. Yeah
2: but i think it's always really interesting how like your hours of the space has always been like either before or after like the normal 6 to 8 times so then it becomes more accessible for people it's like yeah it's true i mean like
3: parking is really hard here but then we've noticed that on saturday um it's actually the best day for parking and and it's then odd. usually like 8 to 11, like, the restaurants, you know, people leave, you know, their parking spots. So, like, you know, it just makes sense to do it kind of late and for people to just, like, kind of end up here. and Yeah.
0: So, in light of all of that, like, wh- this is a maybe a difficult question, but try anyway. Like, how do you see yourself in relation to all all the other galleries in Los Angeles like the the real small spaces and the real big spaces the commercial spaces the just straight artist-run spaces because you're you know it's not it's not Blum and Poe in here but it's definitely like it's there's action here so what where do you put yourself in that yeah, it's not that LAX
3: world? it's not lace it's not Blum and Poe it's not you know the um <laughs> I mean, I kind of think of it as a mom and pop kind mom and pop shop, yeah, and like I don't want to predetermine uh what the space could become, yeah, so so we're just kind of taking it easy, taking it slow, but
2: I think that that's the interesting thing about your space it's like working in the sort of in between space that it's so like all the you know most other spaces are defined whether as like a really commercial gallery or like a only artist run space but it's like somewhere in between and I think that reflects also on the artist that you pick because it's all sort of people who I mean I'm talking about maybe myself where it's like you know you have an art practice but you want to be working in another field as well and how do you incorporate it these two separate things that don't belong together, you know, you have to be either one or the other, but this sort of in-between space that is, like, I think more creative, and, like, being able to navigate in in different, you know, navigate both spaces and neither at the same time. And
1: the space remains more open to possibilities that way. And, you know, the other thing with this space is in talking to you, I've Found out that basically you're scheduled through like 2016 right now. Mm-hmm. So that's an interesting kind of your you're you're still trying to keep it open and it's it feels like every once in a while you can you might have an open week where you can fit something in. But I mean you've you've also scheduled like a lot of shows like far in advance, probably far in advance, especially compared to other artists run spaces. But possibly even like Honor Fraser doesn't know what she's doing in 2016 at this point. Right. So how how do you uh, manage that that kind of like thinking ahead and yet still, you know, st- staying
3: pliant and pliable for
1: you know things that just happen?
3: Well, I mean, I think I have a commitment issue, so like <laughs> through the space that I um, feel. Well, I guess like I kind of work out my commitment issues, I guess, through the space. Through the space, that's great. Um, meaning, um, I feel a lot of responsibility for most of the artists that I work with. Um, a lot of them are gonna return to do their second or third or fourth, and Gala will be the first artist who will have her fourth show here and like I'm very interested in like what what could happen with an artist without claiming that you represent the artist mm-hmm. and how like the artist kind of represents the space in a way like yeah. over the years and I. I mean, I think it's interesting for a space like this to kind of—it's not just like one, one night stand, you know. It's yeah. more like, oh, we kind of maybe took some time apart, but we're coming back together. <laughs> so to <it's>, do a <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think so it's, it's a space just,
1: that allows a lot of space in the relationship. Yeah,
2: <laughs> but yeah. also you have so many shows. I mean, you you know you hold. I mean, now you're having this like. Uh, Pairings, but you'll have like you know a show and then uh, maybe two at the same time, and it flips over so much. So, we
3: probably have like 24 shows a year. Oh, my
1: goodness!
3: Yeah,
2: Yeah. so with group shows and everything, it's like a lot of people representing the space. Yeah, which is like eventually, it's like all of Los Angeles represents. Because,
3: you know, I've, like, worked with spaces when I was younger. And, you know, I spent a lot of time and money and energy. But a lot of those spaces kind of disappeared Yeah. after one month or six months or a year or two years. So it's kind of, and if, if, and if their schedule was kind of, like, sporadic, uh, and there's only, like, five of us in the world with, like, the name of the space on our CV. It looks kind of weird. Yeah. So, like, I want, like, the artists who've had shows here to kind of be proud of having Commonwealth and Council on their CV. and And then, but in that, it's about kind of, like, artists supporting other artists and being, like, Proud of the artists who came before and Mm -hmm. after. So, like, a lot of my responsibility kind of comes from that. Well, it's about that, you know. But I think
2: that we talked about that when you were thinking about how to name the space. It's like the Commonwealth of Artists that exists in LA. And we were talking about that uh, the book, because you had a show, a group show before of your own collection of artists and it was
3: that uh well it was called commonwealth and it was at uh post, post. in downtown mm. yeah uh, so habib um invited me to create a one day show one of the kamikaze shows yeah and i'm like who's gonna want to do a one day show there's a lot of work for a one day show and it's Everybody. crazy <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so i t- took it on myself to kind of curate a show of um, over 30 artists, over 40 works that are from my apartment. So it's like, you know, so he spoke about my relationship with certain artists. Um, so I think that was, like, in the summer before we launched Commonwealth Council. Yeah. So when all those works came back, I realized the living room that I was using as my studio was more like a storage, and then that's why I got a storage container and put everything away, and mm. and that's how it kind of happened.
1: Well, and I've noticed like in in this gallery space here, uh, the office we're sitting in is. Increasingly taken over like every possible space with artist work, and then it started spilling out into this little corridor uh, that heads towards the the main space. There's different works that seem like they're going to live there for a while, and uh, and you change things up definitely. I see different things on this, you know, on the staircase wall here. Like almost every time I'm here, I feel like I don't know if that means I'm not here often enough, but. Uh, but you change up the work pretty pretty regularly, the kind of you know, to stuff back here and this feels like a whole other exhibition space. Maybe right. maybe that is like your living room was back in the day.
3: Oh it's so true.
2: But I think that's also really generous because you know Young will invite somebody to do like a, a sort of a project, architectural project that just ends up staying forever, you know. Like I really love that hole that mm-hmm. is
3: Julie, Julie put Twentino a hole there people. and
2: like you wouldn't know that there's a hole I, I in the wall. I don't know about this
3: hole. There's Do a tell. hole
2: there that when the sun shines in a specific way it makes a beam of light to the thing and this was part of her show and then it's still around for people to see and you know like other people like Inmo tore down the walls and it's like sort of his architectural project on the space and, and like you have to like sort of inc- it's like a Architectural group show all the time that yeah. you don't see
0: right there's like archaeological layers of totally. of the artists that have shown here
3: yeah so th- some things are becoming more permanent fixtures to the space like the Julie tolentino the uh, mural, mural yeah. and yeah because we thought when we knocked that uh, oh go ahead window I mean it was all about like kind of Removing all the Mickey Mouse kind of cover-up job that were here before. So yeah. a lot of our work- Bad remodeling,
1: about, dealing with mm, bad remodeling from the past, yeah. yeah.
3: So when the earthquake retrofitted the building, uh, they had to cover up two of their, our windows. Yeah. So we decided to kind of open one up from our side and, and expose the cinder blocks. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then it was right around the time of Julie Tolentino's show and and her show was all about healing the space, mm. so she felt like she had to address it. So um, that's how that became more permanent. And so many of the artists are respectful, you know. So like no one has said, um, "I want to cover that up," right? I want to take over that space. I have the perfect work for it, you know? right. So everybody kind of works around it.
2: But yeah. something about, like, the show that's up now, it has a faux wall, and when I first came in, it was like, oh, my God, you let somebody, like, break the drywall? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, how are you going to keep that one? I
3: know. That's Gracie DeVito. Uh-huh.
0: Um, well, do you have other stuff coming up that you want to talk about? What's the next couple shows?
3: We have an artist coming from Van- Vancouver, whole uh, Tam, and... Um, He's someone that I've been following for a long time and we've been kind of scheduling the show for the last three years. So he's gonna come and do it. I, um, so I think his show is about kind of like revisiting like an old work, like historical work of his and then kind of having something newer. That kind of addresses that work, hmm. um, but we're gonna have a three-person show, like like the shows that were in my um, dining room, and it's called Sometime Apart. Was it three people that have shown before? No, they're new oh, artists. Okay. Oh, okay.
0: You got dates on that? Uh,
3: February eighth. Perfect. Great.
0: Well, we're gonna take a little break, and then we're gonna come back and talk to. Commonwealth and Council, and Galapagos Kim a little bit more.
1: Welcome back to The People on K-Chung, 1630 AM. I'm Matthew Timmons.
0: And I'm Ben White. If you're in Chinatown, Los Angeles, you can listen to The People by setting your dial to 1630 AM or listen to the live stream at kchungradio.org. Again, that's kchungradio.org.
1: You can also find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show.
0: The show is hosted by Insert Blanc Press, so you can go to insertblancpress.net and click on The People at the top of the page to find out more about the show.
1: Our guests today are Commonwealth and Council and Gala Horace Kim. We just listened to Whistling and Language Transfiguration, AKA Walt. Can you tell us about Walt?
2: Uh, Walt was a project I was doing after I finished grad school. I went back to school for learning Zapotec, which is a Oaxacan language. Yeah. And so I was spending two years of researching and I made this record where the spoken version of Zapotec, which is a tonal language, was translated into the whistle form of it, which was used during the time of the colony to hide language from the colonizers. So I thought that I would make a new form.
1: And that was for a show, your second show here at Commonwealth and Council, right?
2: Right. When I finished going to school I was talking to Young and I you know he knew I was doing this research projects and I came up to him and I was like I have a record can we make a show all around the process of learning as the first show I think my work has always had to do with the process of learning about another language or culture so when I made the record um, it was really nice to have a place to sort of show all that information mm-hmm. um, but I made it on the computer because I couldn't whistle that well, <laughs> so then I just you know used audacity and mashed up all these uh whistle tones from YouTube and sort of mixed it in to make the translation.
1: It sounds really clean, like it doesn't sound like a mashup of whistle tones. you know it sounds like really seamless. It's so got a filter got oh right computers (laughs) yeah computers right yeah Yeah, I know. very fancy yeah so the
0: idea of language and interpretation and uh sometimes like secret language like that that kind of i mean of the work of yours that i've seen like that kind of spans across all of your work is that correct
2: yeah i think it's also like mostly about the process of learning about these codes it's like sometimes because they exist you can't and you have no sort of access to the information, you can totally project anything that you want onto it. So it becomes sort of like language abstraction and then that sort of allows for interpretation by me or anybody who looks at the work. Which was interesting because when I was making the record, all these people in the history department at UCLA were like, this is not a dissertation, but it's really cool. And so it was also working in this in-between space where you know they're used to this sort of like academic form and just sort of insert inserting different ways of making research.
0: Well, I want to hear about and I'm looking at it right now on the radio. Um, but these two pieces that are hanging in the space that we're recording right now were they were in the last show here at Commonwealth and Council were they not? Yes and in that show
2: the mute object and ancient stories of today
0: indeed yeah can you talk about like what was what was in that show and like and what that was all about and I'd invite Commonwealth and Council to just to jump in if if they have anything <laughs> to say about it as well
2: well you know after I was finished making the record I found that there was so much information about Oaxaca that it was so interesting and they, you know, it has been an oral language for so long that just now they're, the specific Zapotec language that I was learning, the, this man is writing the dictionary for it, and so I was interested in sort of the last time that this language had a solid physical form, which was in the ancient times when there was these three rocks with hieroglyphs on it, but it has not been deciphered yet. But the language exists, so sort of how to connect the the works that they're doing today and writing the dictionary, and the ancient rocks and these two written forms and how they can relate to each other. Um, but it was interesting to me the about you know undeciphered languages and how the potential for meaning to be projected onto them. So I just found all these sort of artifacts that were undeciphered and then you know always the work has been about the process of learning about the languages so by drawing it it was almost like a performative mode of learning each character and then projecting onto it you know I had these like studio visits with people who would be like that looks like an egg or like a male or the ghost from Pac-Man and I was like yeah it is until because you know to somebody you can totally the shapes become sort of stand-ins for whatever the context in that you look at them in so in that sense, the word could mean anything until it becomes deciphered eventually. And then it'll be just like, you know, automatic writing or something, which would also be interesting.
3: But can you talk a little bit more about like the organizing principle with the cut elements? That's like part of the depth.
1: Okay, yeah, you were getting really good with an exacto knife. Yeah, I was. Yeah. clearly yeah. like really expert.
2: No, it's it's a swivel knife. It's like the oh, X Acto knife that swivels and you oh, can I do perfect circles. It's really great. Um, I got it at the Michaels, it's great.
0: And we're gonna put images of this stuff up on the people's blog. Yeah, at, swivel knife. Yeah. Swivel knife. <laughs> put an image right. Swivel knife. Yeah.
3: So if anybody needs to know, like the best tool, like.
1: I need to know. <laughs>
3: So, how is this one organized, the cut elements?
2: Oh, this one is. Uh, What's the name of this? Th-
1: these two pieces? What exactly?
0: Oh, no. On oh, the no. spot. My bad. <laughs> okay, well, we'll cool right. that part. You can look so on the people's blog. This one is. Go
1: ahead.
2: So. Uh, well, the name of the piece is basically the artifact name. Um, sl- and then how it has been reorganized. So I basically just drew the exact, you know, a replica of the artifact and then cut out all the elements and the written, or signs, or whatever, and then reorganized them in the second half of the diptych in the sort of arbitrary motions. This one is. uh,
3: Alien, human, animal to plant.
2: Yeah, so then they're organized by that, it's like. You know, the top layer has all the shapes that, to me, look the most alien and then the most human and then the most animal and plant. But, you know, all of them are basically just arbitrary modes of reorganizing a language that has a set system, which mm-hmm. you can see in the first version, the, the you know, the original way that it was organized and how you can reinterpret these symbols into whatever you want.
1: You also at the show had... um like large stone pieces that you had made sandblasting i can't remember how they were yeah made. they're sandblasted they're like yeah. these
2: limestone slabs and i just took a i was looking at a sort of like ancient xerox machines or something because i was i i was reading about the guy who like broke the mayan code and how it, w- it took so long to break it because all these art anthropologists were like hogging the rocks and keeping them secret because they want to be the one to break the code and their name will be attached forever to the language so then I thought that it would you know now that they're doing this really great like crowdsourcing decipherment project with Stanford and UCLA are putting all these rocks online so people can just be like I could break this or something like anybody so I got most of the information from this like catalog that the these anthropologists are working with just to be like anybody can figure this stuff out.
1: And so the stones that you had here, though, were they like recreations of these objects, or the, were they kind of creations of your own?
2: No, they're they're, they're like the ex- actual the actual rock. So you can take a copy and put it in your wall and figure out what it says.
1: Because you had like paper and uh, and like large chunks of graphite, right? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. people can make rubbings at the at the show, right? And as I recall, you said that like you thought you, you were going to make rubbings and then you decided that you would just make it open to people to do it. Well, I always
2: wanted to make the rubbings, right? You know, because you always think like my dream job when I was little was to just work at these anthropology sites, being the person who draws the things. And then it's like anybody could just fucking go and like rub the thing and keep your own copy and just, you know. Yeah. So it becomes a collaboration. Right. Yeah, I mean, I like these sort of open-ended works where you know I just provide some sort of tool for somebody else to learn about something.
0: Hmm. And can you talk about? I know you did a little research on, on the language. I mean, you, it was UCLA. You
2: yeah, I went. Yeah. I so there was this guy Felipe Lopez who was writing the dictionary at the time, and so I thought that I was going to go to Oaxaca to learn Zapotec because I thought that if I learned the language, I could potentially whistle the record but it was you know and then I found out he was teaching there so I had to enroll in school and like take his class so I took two years of Zapotec and I so and then the works in the show were basically tools that I used when learning the language you know there's like the verb note card thing that you know you use as a flash card sort of thing but it's organized by tone so then in that sense it was my reorganization of this language where like the you know the breathy tones are above, and then the grumble tones are at the bottom. So it's like a scale of verbs, and hmm. it becomes easier to learn the words that way or something. But, you know, like the, sa- like the first show, it's all tools about learning. That one was about the language, and then the first one was learning about Koreatown, the neighborhood.
3: What was that called?
2: I want to prepare to learn something I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> So it's just preparation, you know.
1: Sure. So your flashcards are decidedly much more ornate than, like, if I'm trying to learn Spanish and making flashcards, you, you're making like stones. I mean, I <laughs> like
2: I like you know making these not thinking about making specific artworks, but just like in the process of learning. There's other ways, you know. There's the flashcard way, which never has worked for me. Yeah. But you spend so much more time making an artwork and thinking about it, and that becomes the actual like, you know, study hour or studio hour. So when I was at UCLA, going to the library was feeling like going to the studio every time.
1: Mm. Amazing.
0: And and the whistling and the whistling piece, I mean, there's there's undertones of. of colonization there, right? Because it's, as you said, it was created so that the Spanish, I assume, the Spanish colonizers couldn't understand what Native people were talking about. Well, also,
2: my interest in making it now was because the language is being lost so quickly because all the kids Mm -hmm. are like, I'm just going to learn Spanish because I can use the Internet in Spanish and learn all these things. So then I was, you know, when I was studying at UCLA, there was all these sort of language revitalization tools and how do we put, how do we, like, keep the language alive or something so a lot of those theories had to do with inserting that into like artworks or music or something like that so that's how i sorted that part out and
0: you went out into kind of the greater los angeles area to places where the language is still is still alive to some degree correct
2: not so much in la
0: where at then
2: it's all in Oaxaca. Okay, I mean, there's not,
0: yeah, it doesn't Oaxaca, exist yeah. here yeah. at all?
2: It does, but, you know, there's in Oaxaca alone, there's over, like, 60 different dialects that have all been clumped down into, like, one language. But, you know, you go over the hill, and it's, like, the difference between Spanish and Portuguese. So, basically, the one dialect I was learning was, like, you know, 5,000 people speak it. Hmm. And so there's, like, four people in L.A. who speak that specific language. But I found... Okay, so this is really funny. I was at in Westwood at the Falafel King, just <laughs> randomly eating lunch one time and the dudes who were working there were like speaking and I could understand what they were saying in Zapotec and I was like, "Hi, what are you speaking?" And they're like, "Oh, it's you know like this like Spanish, you know, Mexican language." And I'm like, "Uh-huh, go on, go on." And eventually I found out that those like four guys were from the same village as my teacher and then I was trying to figure out, you know, because it's not a written language, so when I was trying to make the cover for the record, I asked them, how do you say, like, you know, whistling and language transfiguration in Zapotec? And they're like, well, making all these sort of versions of it because there was no written form. And so, you know, I just kept, they just kept leaving these voicemails on my phone, like, what about this one? What about this one? And, And then there was no way of spelling that, so then I had to, like, Talk to the teacher who's like writing the thing down and figure out how to spell this language that doesn't exist <laughs> yet, Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So falafel king. <laughs> <laughs> Always stop at the falafel king. So what's the
1: what's the next show? I know you have another show coming up. Uh, what are you? I'm mean, guessing you're kind of working on it at this point, but.
2: Uh, yeah, I think for that project, I'm. Um, you know, they all sort of riff off the last project, and I have been researching the rocks. There's like about you know, four or five rocks that have been found in Oaxaca. Um, and they have all been found in this river called the Papaloapan River. And so I am basically trying to figure out something to do with maybe videotaping the bottom of the riverbed, because all the rocks there have the potential of being rocks that had language before or something like that but i'm also like working with some uh you know anthropologists in that site and also the people who are writing the dictionary and how they decide how to spell things that don't exist yet hopefully my crazy idea is like maybe you can put a new word that i made up in the dictionary and (laughs) it'll become the thing you know because they're, they're basically taking so much more of the the words that don't exist in Zapotec from Spanish, but I'm sort of proposing to them to make up their own new individual words.
0: So you're you're like moving the evolution of that language, like you're taking the step to move the evolution of that language ahead.
2: I'm not, I'm proposing to them, because I feel like I wouldn't just be able to be like, oh, you've lived with it and researched it your whole life, and I'm making this art project, and I'm coming in and telling you how to make things. but. Sort of, you know, talking to Felipe, and he also thinks that it's really funny. You know, the whole time I was there, he's like a historian and a linguist, and every time you say, like, oh, I'm an artist making a project, they think you're funny. (laughs) But, but, you know, so I just talked to him once in a while, like, hey, what about, like, this? As a joke, but also as a way to, like, propose an idea that they could just then later take and, you know, write, you know, ask that in your meeting or something.
1: So the, you made a record for the, your second show here. What yes. was the artifact? Tell us about the artifact from the first show at Commonwealth and Council. I think it, would, it was, uh, what was it, restaurant business cards and chopsticks? Was that?
2: Oh, yeah. No, those were sort of material that I used to make these cyanotype maps. So then that, that was just sort of research material that ended up in my car. <laughs> So, I just go and like whip one out when i every time I want to go to a restaurant and then I go there and think about young's experience in that space or how it relates to his life, so it's very hard to escape
1: <laughs> but so the so, the artifact in that first show were these cyanotype maps and then and yeah. then there
2: were also tools of learning Korean because at the time it was like how to navigate in this giant neighborhood that you go through every day, and the language is like totally all Korean but once you learn the characters it's just like code most of those or maybe not most but a lot of those businesses are written in English just with Korean characters there's like the auto body shop okay. and it would be just in Korean characters but it's in English so once you know mm. the signs you can totally tell what the business is
0: Did you <laughs> want to ask about the publications?
2: Matt? Yeah,
1: the so the and then and then you did a record for the second show
2: there was a there was a catalog for the first show, okay. and then I made an addition for the record for the second show cool, but there's always been some sort of you know young has a library yeah of catalogs at this base. for almost
1: every show that you've done right
3: not for all the shows okay yeah. half maybe well, I mean that was the the idea, when they were in my apartment, it just made sense to kind of extend the shows that way yeah. and bring people back for the release of the catalogs, but we haven't done so much of that at the new location.
0: Well, can, I'll put you on the spot, Young. I mean, Commonwealth Council. Um, can, you, can you speak directly to Gala's work, like why you're, why you're into it? Aside from the fact that she's a lovely person <laughs> and you like her, but specifically about the work?
3: Well, I have an investment in her. So like everything she does, I'm um, invested. But also I feel like through Gala, I learned so much. Um, and with a lot of the artists here, like with each show, I'm like, I'm always discovering or encountering things that I'm not really familiar with or knowledgeable about. So like my learning never stops here, but then especially with Gala, you know, it's like, wow. I love the way she thinks and then how she and what she makes as an artist. It's just like a byproduct of it's like, well, everything's a proposal, everything's like a tool of learning, and it's fun. <laughs> it's fun, it's interesting, and it never stops, so.
0: Well, I think that's a perfect point to end our conversation with. So, Commonwealth and Council, and Galapurus Kim, thanks for joining us Thanks for, the for being on The
1: People. Thank, Thank you. you.
0: You've been listening to The People on k 1630 AM. You can find us on iTunes by searching for The People Radio. Please subscribe, rate, and review the show. You can also find us on insertblankpress.net. Click on The People at the top of the page. Our intro music today was by Lewis Keller. The song was Ock and we're going to go out with a song from Los Angeles band Forget Me Nots. Uh, you can find their music at forgetmenots.com. That's forget me n a u t s forgetmenots.com or at forgetmenots.bandcamp.com. Uh it's from the album Profile Update and the song is called Matching Headstones.